Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast it is presented by league apps and yes of course we're all coming off an amazing convention in philadelphia where dare i say it was so inspirational i was so proud to be a part of it thank you united soccer coaches for letting me play a teeny tiny role. And thank you to the great people that put on an incredible convention, including Jeff Van Dusen, the CEO, Angie Eliason, Beth Sullivan, Erica Dyer, Emily Miller. It was just incredible. As I mentioned, this podcast is presented by League Apps, and we'll kick off the show with a visit I had on Podcast Row with League Apps president and quarterback Jeremy Goldberg, a brilliant man, and U.S. Youth Soccer CEO Skip Gilbert, also brilliant, as they take a deep dive into advanced technology and innovation in the game, a structural shift, and societal change as we push toward the future. After them, I was so inspired by the black soccer coaches community, Nicole Hercules. She won a President's Award from Ashley Fontes Comber, and she also put on an incredible event on Saturday night as they honored the legends. That social was one of the most inspirational I've ever been a part of. The man who led me there, met him in the elevator, said, take me there, please, was Etta Allray, the staff accountant for United Soccer Coaches. As we put the staff spotlight on him, what a story he is by way of Cameroon. That man also with a giant heart. And then we meet a 30 under 30 member who unfortunately couldn't make it to the convention, Kevin Teo, the assistant coach for the Memphis men's soccer team, because he and his wife had just had a beautiful baby girl. That's our show. Jeremy Goldberg, Skip Gilbert, Nicole Hercules, Etta Allray, and Kevin Teo. And it all starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Lee Gaps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by League Apps. Yes, League Apps. Yes, we love League Apps, and we love their president and quarterback, Jeremy Goldberg. And he joins me on podcast row at the convention in Philadelphia with the CEO of U.S. Youth Soccer. We start with hello to Jeremy. Hello, Jeremy. It's great to be with you, Dean. And welcome, Skip. Dean, always great to be with you. Always great to be with both of you. And let's start with you, Jeremy. As we know, you have your entire team. This convention is very important to you. Talk about what you want to get out of this convention while you're here. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're here at a soccer convention, and I'm on a soccer podcast. 
but I probably should confess that I'm not much of a soccer guy. Now, I'm a soccer fan. I now know that the U.S. men's national team may need a nine. I know what that means. <laughs> you know, I grew up, my dad was my soccer coach, did not have the benefit for any kind of USYS training, any United Soccer Coaches certification. So I was exposed to the sport. I played lots of sports growing up, but ultimately there's a reason why I run a sports technology company. But because sports had such a formative role in my life, and as I've gone on to be part of transformations of various industries because of technology, I've now applied uh, myself to this world of youth sports and this world of youth soccer. And so I, I'm, I'm really excited to be here to learn from so many, many people at this convention, learn from people like Skip, uh, people like you, Dean, and be part of some great conversations because I think soccer has such a central role, which we can get into, in our society. Uh, and it's such a, a, a harbinger of, of where our society can go and where you sports can go. Well done. And Skip, I've had you on the podcast several times, so we know your background. We know that you were a soccer player, but you've also been involved in multiple sports. But really, as it relates to what we're going to talk about today, it runs deeper. It really does. You know, the, the fact that when you look at soccer compared to some of the other sports out uh, that, that the youth can, can embrace, the difference is that soccer truly is a lifestyle. And the example that I use, if last year at the Super Bowl, 108 million people watched the game. When L.A. won, there was, sure, some celebrations in Los Angeles, but pretty much everybody went back to their normal lives. Fast forward to December at the World Cup, when Argentina won the World Cup. Every Argentinian, no matter whether they were soccer players or they weren't, celebrated. And it was a massive celebration across the country and around the world. And it was because soccer has been ingrained as part of a lifestyle, not just a sport to follow. One thing I think about, I was watching that final with my kids, and I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, <laughs> which I should say quietly because we're here in Philadelphia. <laughs> and so the Cowboys game was starting at 1.00. And it was running up against the time because it was an extra time. So on Twitter, everyone in Dallas was freaking out. What's going to happen to the Cowboys game if it's in penalties? And it was amazing the number of people that were saying, it's the World Cup. Don't worry about football. We can watch that on the FS1. So it was really interesting to see kind of the shift and change and, and part of it. And, you know, as someone who didn't grow up as a soccer guy, my wife and I looked at flights to Buenos Aires to figure out if we could watch the World Cup with them. Wow. Because it, to your point, it is a lifestyle. It is a cultural dimension. And, and maybe one thing maybe to set the tone even for this conversation is I think about this country and I think about the role that sports plays. It's always played an important role. I think about the division and the complexity of everything we're dealing with right now. And I want to imagine the listeners to think about what is the world going to feel like in 2025, 2026, right? Coming off another presidential election, feels like we're going to be divided. It feels like there's going to be a lot of questions about America. And then the World Cup will be here. And the 250th anniversary of the founding of this country will be during the World Cup semifinals. And so I think it's an amazing moment to think about soccer as this lifestyle, but also this larger conversation about what it means to be American, what it means to be a citizen of the world. And, and soccer is it's, it's such a powerful sport. It, it's as I think Franklin Ford in that book said, soccer explains the world. So I think it, there's so much power in that if we get the sport right. By the way, I'm a Bengals fan, so thanks for bringing up the Rams game, Skip. Um, <laughs> but moving forward, there are three tiers we kind of want to focus in on, Jeremy, and it's going to be an interesting dialogue between two brilliant minds here, and I mean that in a non-sycophantic way. It's going to be fun. But you're talking about technology, you're talking about structurally, and then also society as well. And we'll start with technology, and I'll let you guys rip a little bit. Well, yeah, you know, one thing, Dean, and we were talking about this before, and Skip and I spent a lot of time talking about this. I think we should start with the assumption that there's a lot of change that's coming. And if your listeners are out there and they're saying, wow, soccer's changed quite a bit, or sports has changed quite a bit, the world's changing quite a bit, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? The level of change that's coming to the world of youth soccer is profound. And it's because of those three factors, because of technology, because of the structural change, 
because of the societal change, that, that complexity is underlying this, the shift and change that's happening in the sport. You start with technology, I think you can think about things in a few different ways. One thing is if I wanted to actually prepare for this interview today, and I could say, hey, what are the most important trends in soccer? I could have gone in a new tool called ChatGPT, which is an AI tool. I could have typed it in, and within about five or six seconds, I could have gotten a few hundred word essay back that would have provided a perfectly written statement about what are the most important trends in soccer. And it would have been pulled from all these different sources, and you could not tell it was written by a computer and not a human, right? That's just one example of how the world is shifting because of technology and artificial intelligence. You think about the role of augmented reality or virtual reality. For Christmas, I got my kid a dribble-up soccer ball, right? He's five years old, and he wanted to play video games. And I didn't really want him to get into video games a little bit. We're playing FIFA a little bit together. So I'm like, oh, we're going to buy a video. We're going to do a video game. It's a video game soccer ball. So you hold the soccer ball up to the app. And then all of a sudden, it's like uh, augmented reality, where you're dribbling between virtual cones, and he's practicing toe taps. So my five-year-old is practicing toe taps in the living room for hours now because of this, this ball that's connected to this augmented reality, this app that's up on the screen. So he goes to soccer practice, and the coach is like, what happened to your son? He's unbelievable. Because you have this integration of technology into that experience. That's just an example. And now his friends are coming over to play with this soccer ball I got him. So the examples of these technologies and how they're changing, right, to say nothing of data and other things I'm sure we can get into, I think we just scratched the surface to think about how that's going to change how we experience sport and how organizations themselves have to run. And that's one of those things that, from U.S. Wise's perspective, we see a lot of kids aren't playing soccer, but they're playing FIFA. They're on their phones, they're on their, their video games, they're doing all of that, and they want to come out and play. But they also know that they're probably not going to come in and be an elite player. And so, again, from an innovation standpoint, how can we as a sport be able to give them that canvas for them to go out and play? They may not necessarily fit into the two practices a week and a game every weekend, 11 v. 11, but they, if they want it their way and they want it now, what can we do community by community to be able to give these kids the ability to go out and play soccer in some capacity, but also keep connected to them? You know, because part of our vision is to bring communities together through the power of soccer, making lifelong fans of the game. And if in the current format, if kids who are getting a little bit older, they're not having fun, they're not good enough, they, they just lose that, that oomph to play. If they walk away from the sport, chances are they're not going to be fans for life. But if we know that they love the game, but they know they're not good enough, we still need to be able to give them some sort of a, a platform to go out and play. And we're just not there yet, but we have to do so quickly. You know, one thing, Skip, I think about, um, we, went, we ran our Next Up conference. Uh, League Apps uh, helped organize this. Skip spoke. There's a keynote speaker, a guy named Josh Wolf. Josh Wolf is one of the Midas investors, right? And he's a futurist, like talking about, he literally looks at sci-fi to figure out what are the next innovations in our society. And one of the things I think he talks a lot about is he often looks at the things that are anti-consensus, like what's counterintuitive? What's the opposite of what everyone's thinking? I think one of the conversations I hear when you talk about the FIFA thing, you hear in the halls here, it's like, oh man, kids are playing too many video games. Oh, this is a problem. Esports, this is a threat. What if it's the answer? What if the answer is, is that the interactivity that people get when they're playing video games, what if there was a way of learning for that to then think about how you're delivering the sports experience so that you're taking that dribble-up ball and you're bringing that kind of interactivity to the real-world experience? And so I think, Skip, your approach and mindset, I think, is, is one of the reasons why I have such admiration for you as a leader is that instead of being afraid of change, right, instead of saying, hey, it just has to be the same way, it's like, no, 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 like, 
embrace it, right? It may feel a little uncomfortable because that's where you're going to find opportunities to get more kids connected. And then all of a sudden, you, you have a, a deeper connection to the game where, where my kid, who's playing FIFA with me, now is using Dribble Up and is talking about set pieces, and he's five years old. And now, all of a sudden, he's now in a soccer program, and he's more excited because of it. You know, and it's interesting because I go back a bunch of years when I was at USA Triathlon, and at the time, Larry Probst, became, who was the chairman of EA, became the president of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And so I, had, I was tasked by all of the NGBs to go out to California and literally sit in his office and say, why in God's name are you going to be a part of the Olympic Committee? Because you're trying to get everybody away from actually being participants to playing video games. And he sat us down with his entire group and they showed the research that by bringing video gaming into the sports arena, you're going to get more people who are going to follow the games, but also play the games. And so therefore, actually video gaming was a benefit to the world of sport and to the Olympic movement than not. And it changed our whole dynamic and changed our whole perception. And quite frankly, he was correct. Top golf, there's studies, I think 51% of top golf players never play golf. 75% of the players that play top golf who've never played golf before want to start playing golf and start to be introduced to the sport. So, and I know we'll get into some of the structural shifts in, in the form of play, but I think it starts with this idea that technology is going to be a bigger and bigger facet. You know, and I think about, like, I, you know, you think about the soccer.com guys and sports endeavors and all the work it takes to get uniforms delivered, right? You know, one thing is there's drones that are delivering packages now that can drop it on your front door that are being tested, right? So it's a matter of time when you think about uniform delivery or carpooling, you know, all the stuff that's going to happen that you think about, the world's going to look so different. I think we have to invite that and then understand what are the implications for how you run a soccer organization. You know, and again, if you could be a kid today knowing that you want something right away, you go to your phone and you get it, right. you know, how cool would it be is if I wake up one afternoon or one day and go in the afternoon and I want to play 3v3 and somehow I just type it in on my phone and five minutes away there could be a 3v3, you know, sort of inner little small little tournament going on by a bunch of friends and people in the neighborhood. That's Powered where, by league apps. Powered by, there you go. But that's, I love it. that's where the technology can really help because it gets kids out the door yeah. and into a, you know, into a field of Play. Before we move to the structural part, Skip, before we came on the air, you talked about the fact that you feel like soccer's behind as it relates to technology. Can you touch on that? Well, it's, it's technology and it's also innovation, you know, in the sense that soccer has always been, in one essence, the same. And what we're finding is that as kids get a little bit older, and today it's even younger, that they're not having fun, they don't believe they're good enough, or they're not able to play with their friends, they leave the sport. But when you look at other sports, you know, basketball, hockey, lacrosse, football, they all had the same problems. They created some innovative solutions. So basketball came out with 3v3, that's now an Olympic sport. Lacrosse is coming out with sixes. It's smaller numbers, it's less time, smaller fields. They're growing. Hockey's doing pond hockey with 3v3. Football's probably the, the poster child. They were getting decimated by concussions. And families were just saying, our kids are not going to be there because of the danger of concussion. So the NFL and USA football came together, and now flag football may very well be on the Olympic program for L.A. And the number of girls who are playing flag football is phenomenal. Mm. So we as a sport have to be able to embrace that level of innovation. But how can we do so riding on the curve of technology? You know, one thing I think about is, you know, I, just was, I was at the baseball convention recently. And it used to be the people at the baseball convention, they're the people with the ball on the string. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the exhibitors, right? Now you go up, you cannot tell the difference of, between video games 
and the actual tools that are being measured to figure out, you know, the velocity and the, the exit velocity of the balls that you're hitting and the, the, the weight distribution and all the amazing things that are happening um, through the, the way that technology is capturing it. So one of the things I see is that in soccer's case, there's such strength of the game, there's such tradition of the game, that in many cases those other sports have felt the need because of concussions in football or because baseball is facing, well, well, people are going to be interested in the game, the pace of the game. They've had to push those innovations further. And soccer's strength and the strength of its tradition, the strength of participation, has often in many cases lulled people to believe that well, we don't need to change. And I think to your point, that's missing the opportunity to engage a wider group of people, especially young people who are thinking differently. And I really think that leads, Dean, to that, that second area we talked about, because the, you have the, the combination of that technology, but you really have a structural shift, right? One of which is the form of play, as what you're describing, Skip, and you think about it. Like, I, I gave this a, a talk at this convention, and I asked people, I said, if five years ago I had said, asked everyone else to start with, how many people have played pickleball? Right, majority of the people in the room raised their hands. I said, if five years ago I'd stayed in front of this group and I said, how many of you play pickleball? What would you have thought you, what I meant? Like, what would have come to your mind when I'm saying pickleball, right? Yeah. So all these things, these things can change pretty rapidly. And I think it's, it's understanding how the structure of how we play is going to be different. I also think the other thing is structuring is a shift of who's organizing sports. That is one of the biggest dynamics we see. And if you look at any other sector, industrial sector, right, you can look at bookstores and you can look at coffee shops and you can look at veterinarian clinics and you can look at, at urgent care clinics and doctor's offices. You see a consolidation, right? You see an aggregation. You see investment capital coming in to structure and organize those organizations. You see this in, even in schools now with different kinds of, of innovations around charter networks or for-profit schools. And so what I see happening is a tremendous shift in who's actually organizing youth sports and youth soccer. One of the things that we see in our data is if organizations are collecting less than $400,000 in programmatic revenue, on average they're declining by 2% per year in terms of the amount of programmatic revenue they have and overall decline in people participating. If you're larger than that, you're growing by 20% year over year. So larger organizations are growing. Organizations that are more that are not as, as board-based are growing faster. Uh, organizations that have professional management, executive directors or CEOs or managing directors that are separated from directors of coaching, they're growing faster. Uh, organizations that are off, there is more capital coming in. There's franchise models and different operators. So I think we're seeing a massive shift in who's organizing sport. That doesn't mean there's not a role for volunteer coaches. That doesn't mean there's not a role for community organizations. But there is nothing that, that says that we need to have 100,000 sports organizations powering youth sports in this country. There's going to be a contraction and shift, and we see that. And that has profound implications that ultimately creates a promise for more kids playing, but also could lead to less positive outcomes. And so we all need to be aware of those shifts and the recognition that organizations that are understanding the technology are the likely winners, are the ones that are going to merge that deliver the experiences. And those that don't aren't going to be around, are going to have to merge or consolidate with others. And, and therein lies, to some degree, some of the conflict that we see within soccer. You know, I mean, the late, great Pele, how he learned the game. You know, all he had was a pair of shoes and, and, and a rolled up bunch of, of tape. You know, and he became the player that he is. And, you know, when I was playing, there were times where I was on a nice field, but there were also times, like in the Met Oval out in New York, you know, there was maybe one blade of grass on the field that if you walked away without being scraped up on your entire body, you know, you kind of smiled. But the difference today is most kids are, are, are raised on manicured fields. And if the field isn't absolutely perfect, they kind of think, well, I can't play on that. Mm. And what we're finding is when you compare soccer to football and basketball, you would think 
that soccer would have a much lower um, household income than any of the other sports because really you only need, you know, it's very little cost to entry, but it's actually one of the highest household income for, you know, team sports. And so what you're seeing is, to your point, Jeremy, you know, it's it's these professional groups that are almost taking over and they've got to keep the lights on. They've got to increase the fees. You know, we're not trying to, and I'm not an advocate to get rid of pay to play, but we need that alternative programming to be able to make sure that all kids can play, not just those parents that can afford to send their kids, you know, to private schools and therefore can pay the bills. We need to be able to kind of bring that down. And, you know, that's, again, it's going to be a challenge because all of those, the private equity firms that are that are fueling the growth of sport organizations, they're going to be like, well, don't get in our way, you know, when we'll push the nonprofits out, out to the, you know, out to the back door. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point, Skip. And I think one of the things I see is that there's, there's different evolutions of the, um, in terms of structure within youth soccer that, that you might see. I do think we're moving into an area of the professionalization of, of youth sports. And I think when that term's been used before, it was often a term that people reacted to about kids. You know, they need to be kids. And I think that's right, right? Professionalization of youth sports is not about making kids professional, right? The kids should be kids. They should be fun. But the people in the profession need to be professional. Now, they could be volunteers. They could be part of nonprofits. But there's a standard and expectation. There's a discipline that's required to run organizations effectively. And the predictions I have is, one, the, the more sophisticated operators, right? They could be nonprofits. They could be for-profit. But the people who really understand what it means to run and operate an organization, those individuals right now, a lot of them have focused on the most competitive part of the ecosystem. But I think you're going to see more and more of them look to the recreational uh, world and start to think about those experiences. And I also think that the business model right now has been pay entry higher dues. You're going to go play in tournaments. And that's kind of the model. I think as there's more sophisticated operators that think differently and more imaginably about recreational soccer or more organized free play or whatnot, I think you might have an entirely different business model that lowers the cost to participate, but then captures support and revenue in other ways that create sustainability. So I, I think we're looking at a lot of innovation that's going to be happening that hopefully, hopefully if it's influenced in the right way, means more kids playing at a lower cost. Um, and those that are playing and that can invest have the best experience when it gets more competitive. And, and that's, you know, half the battle right there in the sense that, you know, we want as many kids as possible to be able to play. We also, coming out of the pandemic, we realized that family time is really valuable. And it's, it's to some degree almost ludicrous that we're sending on the elite side, we're sending elite teams from South Carolina to play a team in northern Georgia to Tampa to be able to play a league match. You know, why are we doing all that when they could literally play each other or because we're so fractionalized in the United States at youth soccer, you know, our sanctioning body, you know, USYS, we're not going to play any of the other teams from any of the other sanctioning bodies because, you know, those those teams shall not mix. You know, and so at some point there has to be a correction. You know, we have to do it. As I say, it, we have to take the 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 profit motive out of the picture. There are two core customers that we all of us need to serve one obviously is the player but two is the game itself because again as we look to ahead where the world cup is coming the olympic games are going to be coming the women's world cup might be coming we have all of these international tournaments coming into the united states that's going to bring that lifestyle fan you know fever with it we want to be able to be sure that you know we're going to match that step for step i think it's such a great point and i think that the 
what I see is that the idea of being focused on the participant, focused on the game, that lens, which is so refreshing hearing from a leader of, of a massive governing body and association, I think that if, if we center that, then it leads to the right kind of innovations. Because then you're delivering the best experience for the participant and the family, and it unlocks new possibilities, new forms of the game, new structures. I think the other thing, Dean, if I can go there, is to talk a little bit about the societal shifts, if that works. Amen. Because I think that when you talk about this opportunity in serving the game, I think we live in a really interesting moment because if you're running a youth soccer organization, right, and you think about today, okay, you gotta figure out how to coach on the field, and we know th there's lots of amazing efforts to try to make that better. You have to deal with the complexity of the finances and the organization and the technology decisions and the, the marketing questions and dealing with parents, but all of that is then against the backdrop of what's happening in our world, right? You've got higher expectations than ever with parents. I think sociologists have termed this like intensive parenting model, where it used to be that upper middle class and above families were the ones that were really spending and investing and focusing on making sure their kids got ahead, and that was the focus. Now when the studies have show across every demographic and every income level, parents are figuring out ways of making sure their kids get ahead, right? And there's this deep sense of insecurity that's actually not totally unfounded that this generation is gonna actually be worse off than their parents, right? That's for the first time in many generations in our country. But that is fueling, in many cases, a fear that's then creating pressure on organizations because the answer is, well, you gotta get scholarships, you gotta get admissions in a school. So one is you have this intensive parenting that people are experiencing, not to mention the kind of coarseness of parenting and things like that, where you see the kind of behavior and some of those issues. And then you have the dynamics with kids and how they're shifting, right? The, the behaviors where, you know, it's great for them to go home and work on their game and their dribbling and everything else, but they're just as likely to work on TikTok and Instagram because they want an NIL scholarship or they want to figure out how to be a social media influencer that's also creating different incentives of how they want to engage. And that's to say nothing of the larger dynamics around gender or race or some of the complexity. So if you're running an organization today, you have to contend with all of that which in my mind then heightens the responsibility and the need uh, to really manage your organizations effectively because it's harder than ever to run an organization, but it's also more important than ever. And that, if you understand that importance, then you can figure out how to take advantage of the resources and do it right. You know, and you talk about the, the parental behavior, and I'm smiling because I remember I was at a, a cocktail party out in Connecticut, and we're, it was an outside summer party, and some family must have heard my background. So the mom walked up to me and said, do you see my son running across the grass? And he was an eight-year-old boy. And she goes, do you think he has what it takes to be a professional soccer player? Wow. And I, I, I literally stopped, and I thought, you have got to be kidding me how is it you know and coming from the olympic movement we had a lot of sports within the family that would have loved to have gotten a lebron james or you know an nfl free safety you know just an, an absolute tremendous athletic individual um, to come play but they knew they could never get them because th at the end of the day those athletes saw NFL NBA dollar signs and their family pushed them that way where if you go be a you know bobsledder or you know some of those sports that aren't you know revenue drivers you're just not going to get them and soccer is getting to the point where in the past you didn't have the fervor by the parents because the expectations were, yeah, they, may, they might go play high school, they'll play college, but even if they made the World Cup team, there really wasn't a lot of dollars there. Well, given the success of Major League Soccer, you know, I mean, if you look at their uh, championship game this year, one of the best ever, and then on top of that, you've got the World Cup, one of the best ever. You know, parents are now seeing this pathway for their kids and the financial benefits of doing that, that they lose track of the sight of being a parent, they almost then be morph into being a general manager. 
and therefore they feel like they can yell at anybody in their path to be able to get their way for their kid. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, you know, one thing I think about is the increasing parent expectations and the role this has and the pressure it creates, it's dynamics that are shifting. It's powerful to think about that during COVID, organizations were operating and you couldn't play in the field. And there was someone who said something to me, which was that this is the largest branding exercise ever for youth sports. Because if you can't play the game, what's your value? And if you could figure out how to be valuable to parents when you can't actually play the game, you found your purpose, you found your essence. And I think one of the opportunities is to take a shift from a framework of it's about scholarships, it's about professional contracts, it's about admissions. That there's pathways, and if those pathways are used correctly, it can help, help reinvest in, in, in the right kind of player development. But the reality is, is that most people experiencing are not gonna have those pathways, but youth sports is something much larger. One is it's the individual transformation. That instead of focusing on getting in this, the, the chance of maybe getting a scholarship or preferential admission to school, if you play youth sports as a child and you have a good experience, you're 15% more likely to go to college, even if those factors aren't the case. And the reason why you want to go to college is to have success at life. Well, if you have a good experience playing youth soccer, you're seven to eight percent. You have seven to eight percent more higher, higher annual earnings in your life. So the kind of individual transformation and impact, the social emotional learning, the lifetime outcomes. I invite every soccer organization not just to have a page of all their D1 commits and all the people that went on MLS. Show me the LinkedIn profiles of everyone that went through your program and what they've gone on in life. Because I guarantee you those that went through your program, if it was an effective program, have gone on to do amazing things well beyond what simply was, was results in the field. And I think the final piece about it is that I think that there's also a societal impact, not just individual. At a time of a lot of division, a lot of questions, I think soccer is something that unites us. And I think that's something that we got to really lean into because it's the one place where you can come from different backgrounds, different religions, different races, actually have a, have a point of common connection and kids and communities can come together through the game. You know, and, and to that point, one of, one of my more favorite teams that I played on growing up was a, a, a summer team in the throes of, of Arthur Ashe Stadium for, in Queens, and I was the only Caucasian on the field. And what a great experience it was. I mean, it was a fun time, but at the end of the season, I was voted in that league the, the top goalkeeper, and they gave me a trophy, and it, they spelled, they didn't get skip right, it was S-K-I-T. And it reminded me that, you know, we're of the differences that you have on the field, but, you know, they didn't get my name right, which you think it would have been the reverse. But those things kind of happen. But as we go through and you look at what society is going through today, you know, we, we look at how argumentative sometimes it gets or look at the safe sport issues that we have to deal with. And that's impacting soccer at the highest levels. I mean, we've seen the age report come out. And so we as an organization have to put a heck of a lot more resources behind ensuring player safety. Because if we can't do that, then we really can't look in the mirror and saying we're doing the best job possible to make sure that the kids get a positive experience out of the out of the games. And so we can understand that some of these parents are absolutely off the charts in terms of how they're trying to drive their kids forward. And it's not just at the youth level. I mean, we saw it again at the World Cup level that you have parents of World Cup players saying to the coaches, my kid deserves more, more playing time. And they're not just saying it privately they went globally public which was in one sense it's it it shows other parents oh well that's now acceptable and so we really have to be able to come back and say you know what there's a bigger meaning to life than just being on the World Cup team. You have to be able to do things the right way. You have to be a strong member of society. You have to be able to you know to win correctly. 
win as a team, not just in an individual. And if you can't fit on the team, well, get there are other ways to do it than screaming in the media to be able to get your kid on that, you know, on that field to play. You know, one thing, Skip, I think, and it's so important as you raise these topics, in many respects, youth sports, youth soccer, sports in general, it's a platform that either can be a mirror of our society or can change our society, right? It could either be an example of the abuses and the harassment and discrimination, or it can be the place that leads the way for gender pay equity, thanks to Julie Foudy, one of our investors in the U.S. Women's National Team, right? It can either be a place of the best examples of how parents can be mentors, of how parents can have a role in shaping an organization and imparting the most valuable lessons that you can almost get nowhere else, or it can be a place where it's about seeing the lens through the only perspective of your own kids at the global stage. So I think there's this amazing invitation where the power of the platform is so immense. It's just a question of how we use it. And I think ultimately, Dean, that's really about what this podcast is about. It's what United Soccer Coaches is about. It's about what USYS is about. It's what we try to do at League Apps, which is to recognize that there's a massive shift and change in youth soccer that's happening. And organizations who embrace that responsibility, people who are lear- willing to learn from each other and exchange ideas, people who are willing to innovate and try new things, like that's, that's the opportunity for us to harness that platform. That's the opportunity for ultimately us to change. Because if you don't want to change, just wait. Because I think as I heard from someone else, is if you're in a poker game and you don't, who the, no, don't know who the mark is, it's you. So if, <laughs> you're you're waiting, if you're waiting around thinking you don't need to change, that's not how other people are thinking. And so I think let's embrace that and let's use that as an opportunity to elevate the game because there's nothing like it. And as someone who didn't grow up playing soccer, didn't have the benefit of all the resources that exist today, um, I, am, I embrace that. And I'm a, I'm a soccer guy now. Well, let me just say I'm absolutely blown away by this conversation, and I apologize for bringing the IQ level down substantially. I Please forgive me for that because you guys are so impressive. With that, if you listen to the podcast, I'm big on last word time. Just in case if people miss everything else that you had to say, I'd like to get the last word from both of you on this discussion today. We'll start with you, Mr. Goldberg. Yeah, well, well I'll just simply say, first of all, Skip, I, I just have a lot of admiration for you willing to have the conversations. I believe that these are ongoing conversations to happen. So uh, at League Apps, we're really committed to not only being an innovative company and building innovative uh, technology, but more importantly, uh, really surrounding ourselves to elevate the entire game. So if people want to learn more, go to leagueapps.com, join Next Up, our, our community. Uh, come by um, and, and let us know um, how we could be helpful to you. We want to have these conversations all around the country. So hit us up. Uh, I'm Jeremy Goldberg. Find me on social media. Uh, or hit up Dean. Uh, he can get in touch with me. <laughs> My quarterback, Skip, final words. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The feeling is mutual, Jeremy. I mean, you push me to think about technology in a whole different realm, which absolutely is, is something that we're, you know, we look forward to. But, again, from USU's perspective, you know, whether you're a six-year-old that would rather be chasing butterflies than potentially kicking the ball, all the way up to the kids that are going to ultimately play college, national team, and even um, professionally, you know, and everything in between – Our goal is to be able to help those kids, their parents, the referees, the coaches, the club administrators, to all be able to get what they can, you know, the best out of the game as possible. And we want to keep the focus on it's got to be a fun experience because it's still at the end of the day and as many billions of dollars are going into youth sport, it's a game. And if we lose track of the site that it's a game, it's got to be fun, then we're really losing the grasp of what sport is intended for society. Brilliant brain power and visionary, and I think just as important, caring about the future 
That means a lot. Thanks for sharing that with us. Jeremy Goldberg, the president and quarterback of League Apps. Appreciate having you on. Thanks, Dean. And Skip Gilbert, the CEO for U.S. Youth Soccer. Great to be with you, Skip. Thanks, Dean. When we return, we visit with Nicole Hercules, who is stepping down as the chair of the Black Soccer Coaches Community. What a job she has done, and she will make sure that more work continues to be done. We'll hear the gospel from Nicole Hercules after this message. United Soccer Coaches' advanced diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. As mentioned, we're joined by Nicole Hercules. She received a well-deserved presidential recognition award from Ashley Fontes Comber. But more importantly, she has led a renaissance with the Black Soccer Coaches, one that I witnessed for myself, one that inspired me, one where I even told people it was like an out-of-body experience that I am still soaking in and wanting to do something about it. And because of that, I bring on Nicole Hercules, who is actually stepping down as the leader of the Black Soccer Coaches community. But as we all know, she won't be going too far away. Nicole Hercules, thanks for jumping on the podcast in short order. I appreciate it. Dean, you know, you're one of my favorite humans at United Soccer Coaches. So if you ask me to be on a podcast, I'm on. You already know that. (laughs) Well, I have told you the story how I had to get to the Black Soccer, you know, your Legends event and there was a lot of other things, you know, we had to go to the president's thing and and I didn't know where it was and I got there. And then when I walked in, it was, you were up there doing your thing. And then Lincoln Phillips got up there and was doing his thing. And I just was like, oh my gosh, I've been around these people for so long. I've loved them forever. And I, I got to do more. I got to do more. I mean, Nicole, that's my way of saying it was so inspirational, so moving. I think you felt it, not just from me. I think everybody in that room, right? Can you just talk about what was going on? Because Dean, it was it amazing. Was special. Yeah. It was special. I think for the first time, we had, of course, all of our leadership group, our entire community, but it was a really diverse group of individuals in that room. Um, so it was special. These are folks that in my three years, I've developed some very close-knit relationships with. So when you're seeing us give a, you know, our CEO and president an ally award, the mix of folks in the room who are able to see us honor our legends who aren't, you know, often celebrated, it really touched most of us. And you were right. There was something, there was something else going on in that room. It was, everyone could feel it. You know, everyone had the chills. There's just this overwhelming feeling of love. Um, There's this overwhelming feeling of family. When we say United Soccer Coaches, I think that's what it felt like in that room. And everyone felt a part of that renaissance, as, you, as you're as you saying, um, because everyone is a part of it. And I'm excited for the future of where we'll go as an association with the way and the responses that we're getting. I mean, my phone's been blowing up since the social, and um, we're just excited that we were able to drop the mic the way that we did, but more so to, to unite people and to celebrate together and to make people feel included and welcome in everything that we're doing, because that's all we've ever wanted. So it was it was a special night. I think there was something divine uh, that was going on. We're, we're praying, folks. So, you know, we definitely prayed over the event <laughs> for quite some bit. I was praying and fasting, and um, it was everything I could have hoped it to be and more. 
Yeah, I felt it. I felt levitated and I felt drawn and I wanted to go around and shake everybody's hand. In fact, I was I was like a little kid, you know, I was like, all right, I got to get Mike Curry. I got to get to Hugh. I got to try to find Lincoln. You know, I got to try to find Dan. I got to try to meet the new president, uh, who's a beautiful man as well. We'll get to that as well. And really, Nicole, and this is the part where I need you to soak in. You did this. And I know you're going to say everybody else, but you and your leadership it resonated with all of us. And it wasn't like somebody said, hey, you got to go. But I think there are other people like me that said, we got to go. Something exciting is happening with this group. Yeah, it, it, Dean, it was, it's so special. It's so special to, to see that room packed. Because I'll tell you what, we had a leadership meeting probably a couple months before when we got the grand ballroom. I'm like, maybe we should get a smaller room. Uh, maybe we shouldn't dress up for it. Maybe we should keep it simple. And like, I love my group. They're like, no, you know how long we fought to get into this room? Do you know how long we fought to get this type of attention and, and appreciation? And I love that the group was really like, no, let's go for this. Let's go for this and hit this out the park. And we did. Um, it was really exciting, especially to honor our legends who for years, I'm just like, gosh, I'm, I'm going to do something for you. I have to do something for you. So on my you know, way out, I just made sure that we honored all of those folks, the shoulders that we stand on, who have done such remarkable work with the rest of the association doesn't really know about it. So we enjoyed being able to highlight and talk about our successes in a way where we honored our, you know, our past. We talked about the present successes and then the future, because I think with me, there's this, there's this big gap from the older generation to these new, fresh, incoming lightning bolts that are just going to take this organization and bring us to a place we've never been before. So I really wanted to be able to highlight where we've come from. Um, and so it's been something with our, our, our younger coaches that they want to know, you know, and they want to support that and they want to be involved in the changes and the movements of those who have gone before us when it was much more difficult. So we've been able to have those conversations and they're conversations we've had regularly for the past you know, year. And our younger coaches are like, let's let's make sure that we are always paying homage to those who have gone before us. But we're also going to move forward really quickly and really rapidly. I want to run through the Legend Award winners. But before I do that, I also want to just comment on Lincoln Phillips. You gave Lincoln Phillips the microphone, and that was part of what I was experiencing because I used to be with Lincoln and I love that guy, you know, and, it, you know, I, I'm glad to say that back even then, like it didn't matter black or white. I was just like, man, this is a great guy. Like, I just want to be around this guy. And then having not seen him for so long, man, he was powerful. Can you talk about his message up there? It was awesome. Lincoln's the founder of our group. None of us can can stand up there and do what we were able to do and to accomplish the things that we were able to accomplish without Lincoln Phillips. And so I actually didn't have that on the schedule, but you know, with Lauren not being able to make it because he's training the Jamaican national team, um, I said, we have, this is the moment to get Lincoln to be able to say a few words. We have to, he's always extremely powerful. For those who don't know, he has a movie that's coming out very soon. And there's some really chilling moments when you hear his story and just what he had to fight through. He's the first black coach to coach at the professional level. This guy has been a pioneer on so many levels that I really had to make sure that we gave him at least a second to say something at our first annual Black Legends Award. And, you know, what can you say about Lincoln Phillips? You know, that he's a special person. And, you know, he called me yesterday just to, it took him a couple of days to really be able to put words together for what he felt. And he still couldn't. He said, Nicole, there's going to be a day when I'm able to sit down and actually tell you all the feelings that I experienced in that in that award ceremony. That's all we wanted to do is just make people feel special, make people feel appreciated, to let people know that, I mean, I'm getting a lot of credit for all the success that we've had, but I mean, it, it, there's a lot of us who've been involved in it. 
And there's a lot of people who are going to put forward to keep us moving forward. I hope you were able to tell at some point, tell Lincoln my story. And then I want to get Lincoln on even next week's show. So maybe we can coordinate that uh, after we get off here. But I want to run through real quick. And if you can give a line or two on each of these legend awards, I know all of them, but uh, not everybody does and everybody should. As you talk about your grassroots coach of the year, Kimberly Crabb, I mean, she's a rock star, too. First African-American woman to play on the U.S. national team, but even better than that experience is how she shares it. She has a grassroots program that is just dynamic. I mean, we go to different camps throughout the year and, and, you know, she brings some of her players and they're just top notch kids, you know, so she does everything and anything. She pours her soul into her community. She's a phenomenal coach. There are sessions that um, we go to when she's coaching and I am fixated on her sessions because she's so engaging. She's so personable. And the bottom line is she loves the kids that she's coaching and you can feel it. And they play, they play for her, you know, with what she gives to them. They get, they give right back on that field. Youth coach of the year, Doc Simpson. Oh my gosh. Doc Simpson is one of these guys who's developing professional players out of his youth club year after year. He's a coach of the year for his club. Um, just a top guy. He actually started our, when we were doing our open coaches meeting with over 80 coaches plus on a call. He organized that. So he's one of these guys who's really connected to our pipeline, but he's a phenomenal coach developing top talent year after year. He was at the National Women's Soccer League draft. And I'm like, how many players do you have here today? Jeez, man, you're out here crushing it. He's just developing top talent. He's he's phenomenal. So we had to give him that award as he was uh, coach of the year this year. As you know, I covered her with the original Carolina Courage that won the WSA, the high school coach of the year, Stacey Wilson. Love her. Stacy Wilson took on this this boys team that was struggling and we all know Stacy with her sports performance she used that periodization her sports performance and took those kids last year they went to they won their division they went to states I don't think they won it but they won the whole thing this year um so she transformed that program anywhere Stacy goes she has the Midas touch she's she's a genius people know her as a player but they don't know that science and technology mind that she's had since she was a kid. She's brilliant. She's a brilliant person. And I think we always laugh at our national team players and coaches because there's a, there's a level of perfection that they perform on. And it, that's the way she coaches her kids. But she's also just this really caring, amazing. And she's so fit. I honestly believe she could still play on the national team right now. She's so <laughs> ridiculously fit. But yeah, Stacey Wilson, high school coach of the year, just because she's can transform a program with the knowledge and information that she has, not only on the soccer side, but the sports performance side of it too. She said so many sweet things to my wife, Leah, as well. Leah loved her too. The assistant coach of the year, Robert Williams. Four-time, he's a four-time national champion. It's funny because I think Mario Felix, who introduced him, said two times and he came up and he's like, no, we won four times in a row. (laughs) Please make a correction there, asterisk, four-time. So, I mean, he's an extremely successful coach really plugged into our coaching community, but just doing a phenomenal job as an assistant coach. Our coaches did a session on what it is to be an assistant coach. And many people know that it's so much more than what most people, you know, actually know that assistant coaches do. They do a lot. Um, So we had to honor and highlight him because he is just crushing it in the game. And hopefully they have another four more titles in the next how many, four years or so. Kia McNeil, the college coach of the year. Kia couldn't make it because she has an assistant coach on maternity leave, but Kia has a dynasty that she's building out at Brown University. She's won three championships, Ivy League championships, in the last four years. And to be honest, she probably won to want four if COVID didn't hit. So she's got this beautiful dynasty where she's just focused on developing her players. And, you know, we had a game probably early in the season where it was Shade Ayinde versus 
Kia McNeil. And I think it was the first time where two black women played against each other. So I went down for that game and to hear the parents and how they speak about Kia and what it means for her to be the head coach. We had to give her coach of the year because year after year after year, she's just the top coach. She talks about the experience that her brothers had at an Ivy League school and wanted to be a change uh, for kids of color. But she coaches all kids. I have a kid up here from Rochester, Claire Myers um, from Fairport, plays for her. Her family loves playing for Kia. So Kia's a top coach. She's going to have much more successes. So she's our coach of the year. And I'm going to let you introduce the rising black star. I followed Sammy, but I've heard people say his name differently. So I want to make sure we get it right as a broadcaster. So I'll let you say his name and talk about Sammy. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure I'm saying it wrong after the way Mario says it. I say Boateng. Mario says Boateng. So I'm, <laughs> we're both. So <laughs> we'll get the correct pronunciation for it. But Sammy's one of these coaches. He was actually someone who we really... Um, we're looking at his chair because I have so many of our younger coaches at 30 under 30 when they're asking for mentors. Sammy's name comes up so much. He's this young leader and this phenomenal coach who he's during COVID. He was just checking on everyone. He's looking after everyone. He's just a thoughtful human being and a phenomenal coach. You know, we did a session out in L.A. in the inner city and I'm watching this guy coach and I'm just like, Ooh, he's going to win a national championship one day. Not only that, but our coaching community really looks to him um, as a leader. So we actually had someone else in mind for that award, but I had to veto it and say, absolutely not. We got to go. Uh, we got to go Sammy on this one because he's just, he's that person. I mean, I can't tell you how many parents call. Can you connect this with Sammy? How many are young and up and coming coaches? He just is this guy who's going to take off and soar and really be a phenomenal leader for our group. And that's all we named him as a vice chair for that reason. He'll, he'll be a part of the new leadership team that's that's moving forward. He's dynamic and you'll, yeah, you'll, and you'll get to know him. Awesome. And we're going to end with the new leadership and the new leader of the black soccer coaches uh, when we're done with this. But, you know, the standard, I call him the captain of cool, Kadani McAlpine. I got to tell you, I was telling him what I was experiencing there. And he just flat out said, come on, Dean, you've always been a part of our group, man. Like, like, like you're part of us, you know, I, and I, it, that guy is the standard and he is the captain of cool. You know, I sometimes I think it's, it has to be a lot of pressure for him. But it, as you said that he is the captain of cool. <laughs> Everyone looks to him. I call him our he's our version of Anson. You know, so he just sets this high standard. He and he never drops from it. And he's very intentional with that. He's just a special human being. The way he looks after all of the coaches, the way he mentors all of the coach. And, and this is beyond the black soccer coaches group. He's just a special person who sets such a high standard and he's regarded so highly that we had to create an award for him. And the standard award was created because Kadani McAlpin is Kadani McAlpin. He is the standard. You know, we have so many people who look to him and he's he's accessible, he's available, and he's just a top coach. And he's a, even better. He's just an amazing human being. We love him so much. So we had to give him that award. Your local legend, JT Dorsey. JT, I mean, he's the guy who created the urban soccer diploma. He worked incredibly hard to make sure that that happened. It was getting stalled here or there. And he's like, Nicole, we got to push this. We got to push this. So he's, when you see those Saturdays on Sunday, he worked incredibly hard to do that. He's someone who really cares about making soccer accessible for all people, which you all you already know that's my language. So 
we have to celebrate JT Dorsey because, I mean, the work that he does is tireless. He's just special to our inner city and marginalized communities. Next one I'm going to have on after Lincoln Phillips next week. The following week, we'll meet Robert Smith, local legend. You just uh, are so inspirational. He's so inspirational. And nobody knows his story, man. Everybody needs to know his story. Here's the thing with Rob is I couldn't write a bio for him. There's too much. He's a guy <laughs> who was a Nike executive. If you go to Nike tomorrow and so you know Rob Smith, they're going to give you some some robot shoes. You're gonna be able to, you know, they're gonna give you stuff that you've never seen before. You're gonna walk on 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 the moon with with the types of equipment that they're gonna let you use and try out. Not only that, but he was with the FC Delco program that was so top tier in the day. And we always joke, all of everyone in our group, we hate Rob because any anyone who was from Region One, they used to kick our butt. We hated, we hated Rob. You know, so it's one of those things where. He was a top coach, but here's, this is the special thing about Rob. The DA system, the current MLS pro system was basically created from what Rob Smith had to do to challenge his players. Um, They would go to tournaments and there weren't teams that could compete at the level that he needed. So he would say, Hey, I got this team from California, this team here. We want to be able to play each other at these tournaments. And that was the way that he was developing his players. You know, he wanted his players playing against the best talent across the country, and they found a way to do that at each tournament. And then before you know it, they created these different leagues and things where that was happening regularly. But that came from Rob Smith. Rob Smith, when it comes to player development and how that system's in place, that was his brainchild that he created that was, you know, pretty much use for MLS and, and the Federation, which we're so proud of him about. It's a podcast. They can't see us, but for the sake of time, we're simply going to do a bow down to your two allies because they know them well on this show. That's the CEO of United Soccer Coaches, Jeff Van Dusen, and the outgoing president, Ashley Fontes Comber. We'll do a bow down. We know their story. We know why they're allies. We know why you salute them. Your lifetime achievement, Lauren Donaldson. Uh, Lauren Donaldson, first of all, he's a Jamaican national team coach, qualified with less than a month of practice, you know, so he's an amazing guy. But not only that, he was one of the founders of our group. Um, he has a small club in Colorado. Um, he's, he has multiple national team players. Like you guys just watched uh, Mallory Swanson play last night. But aside from her, I mean, I mean, Janelle Daniels, I mean, Sophia Smith, Florida State, Mallory yeah, Pugh, yeah. Sophia Smith. Yeah, he Janine. Becky in, in Canada, he has a multiple national team players, starting national team players that have come out of his club in Colorado. I always say he's an inspiration to me because it's like I can't imagine having one national team player. The guy has a ridiculous amount and he's a mentor and coach to many of the top players across the globe. And I'm going to say this and it may be um, I may be out overstepping. I think he's the best women's coach in the world. I honestly do. He doesn't talk about the players that he's developing. But for this guy to do what he's doing on an international level, at a club level, he has a national championship team. And then to have so many starting international stars for different teams that are going to be represented in the World Cup. I mean, he's 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 dynamic. and He's just a different breed of coach. He's amazing. And then your history maker, Hugh Menzies, I got to call Gotham against North Carolina Courage, and he was so sweet as I got ready for that game, which doesn't always happen when you're talking to opposing teams, right? When you're the voice of a, a different team. And now Hugh is going to come to Chapel Hill and spend time with me because Fox wants him to work the World Cup as an analyst, and he wants to know kind of the ins and outs of TV. I mean, here's a guy who really could walk in and not want to know anything, but that says a lot about that man, Hugh Menzies, your history maker. Hugh Menzies is the, the first black man, the, the first black coach in the National Women's Soccer League. I mean, he did that. He sent us a message when it was happening and he said he's he's doing this to blaze a trail. He's doing this to knock down a door. 
Um, and we now see Seb Hines, who's in as a, as this, you know, a black head coach. And hopefully we see so many more former Jamaican national team coach, very best friends with, with Lord, you know, Donaldson. And he's a guy who people trust. Like that's a phone call to bring him in and help him close out the Gotham season. And he's incredibly close with, you know, Cindy Cohn. He's incredibly close with everyone on an international level from FIFA to CONCACAF. He's trusted and loved because he's so good at what he does. So, and he, no one talks about that. When I said he's the mentor of mentors, he is. We're not going to talk about who he mentors, but it is the creme de la creme of the soccer landscape. Um, and we're so excited that he's going to be able to be seen a little bit more. Um, and especially to learn from you. I think that's, that's great. You know, that's why he's so excellent is that he always wants to learn from the best. He was out in England meeting with Pep, you know, a month ago. He's calling me like, oh, I'm just talking to Pep. Oh, okay. Okay. That's normal. (laughs) That's normal. (laughs) Uh, Having such a good time with the co-Hercules talking about the Black Soccer Coaches 2023 Legends Awards and the amazing leadership that the Black Soccer Coaches community has had under the great Nicole Hercules, who was, of course, recognized by Ashley Fontes Comer with a presidential award. And of course, I didn't know, Nicole, that you were stepping down and please tell me that the new president, when he said that you're not going to be able to get too far away, that he's right. And then tell us about the new president. Yeah, I was, you know, I was very intentional coming in that we wanted to create a pipeline and an ecosystem. And I had an inside out approach. Um, So I've done everything that I wanted to do to make sure that we've grown our profile, to make sure that we're rising up leaders. I don't think you can call yourself a leader if you don't have people coming behind you. I mean, not only do I have people coming behind me, I'm one person, I brought in five. You know, and I wanted to set that visual example for the rest of our group to say, this is how we love each other. This is how we increase representation. Um, so no, I'm not going far. You know, I have regular calls with our leadership group. We created the board of governance, but it's really important with the amount of work that we have to do across the landscape to continue to create more leaders who are out in the front. Um, and I can't call myself a true leader who believes in increasing representation without doing that. So a lot of people are not happy with me for only taking three years and not taking my second term. I'm not going far. I'm going to do a little bit more outside so that we can hold people's feet to the fire and also support this new group. So I'll be working with them regularly. I'm not going anywhere, but I just want to make sure that we have new, fresh faces, new ideas. Um, and our group can really be excited about truly seeing that pipeline to leadership because I'm not just saying it, I'm living it. I'm so I can't sit there and be the only person, you know, getting these accolades and awards. We got to share that 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 platform and hear more voices. And this group that we have coming up, I think out of everything that I've done, um, I'm most proud of this this group that's coming out here. That's going to just shock the world. I'm 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 so proud of each and every one of them, and I love yep. them immensely. Well, let's give them some airtime. Tell us who they are, including the new leader of the Black Soccer Coaches community. I was blown away by the guy. What a handsome man as well. And man, does he carry himself well or what? Man, so I don't know if everyone saw the new branding that we're doing with the Black Soccer Coaches group, but that's Andrew. Our newsletter, that's Andrew. He has a a digital media group. He's special. You know, I, I think for to be able to watch him in action last week was was really special. He's incredibly thoughtful. He's going to look after folks. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's well-spoken. Um, he's inspirational. He understands that there's a legacy that we have to uphold and that we have a blueprint that we're still yet to build. And he's, you know, honoring to help us to build that out. I, I have a lot of plans that, you know, we haven't been able to finish that he will. But Andrew Richardson, he's an athletic director for a top high school. He has an organizational leadership background. 
he is someone to look out for. And I'm so excited for everything that he's going to do. And I'll be there to support him. I already told folks, don't don't mess with him or, or I'm coming for you. <laughs> you know, so he's my little bro and I'm going to support everything he does. But it, it's exciting. It's exciting to see what he's going to do. We also have Sammy Botang, as I as we spoke about before, the assistant coach at Michigan University. One of these people who a lot of our younger coaches especially look up to and, and call on him to mentor. Mario Felix, who's our little firecracker, he's the one who's going to be the one who's holding people's feet to the fire. He's he's a fiery, passionate personality. So, you know, he's he worked with Kai Edwards for such a long time. Um, he's now a volunteer coach at Mizzou. We have Marsha Harper, who's, who's someone else whose name came up like crazy to be chair. Positive energy, really building a, a program at American University played for Becky Burley for a long time. So you know her lead, you already know her leadership ability and how she's able to really, you know, grow an audience and be incredibly positive. And also I, I we have her in there because I need her to to stay on top of these men. You know, I need her to be the one who's like, come on now, you know, look, look out for women. And then we added Maya Hayes, who I told her last year, I was like, we have some plans for you. I, I didn't even introduce myself and say my name. You know, I had a, a, an idea of people who I wanted to take over. And these were the four vice chairs and Andrew as the chair that we wanted to. And to be honest, we didn't have Marsha and Maya until the convention. It was Andrew who really kind of put them over the edge and said, come on, join us, get in here. And so Andrew's the one who got my dream team together because I had my three guys and my two the two women that I wanted were Maya and Marsha and he 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 got them to uh to commit which is amazing and this this is a dream team I'll just say that I'm I'm so excited for how tight knit they are how much they're going to support each other but also how how much they they're understanding and learning the landscape and what continues to be to be done I'll continue to work with them on that because we already have a blueprint that's in place but with their freshness their new ideas and the way they're, they're showing people how we interact and how we treat each other, I think was a huge takeaway at the social too, that we have each other's back, that we support each other, that we're continuing to stay galvanized. And together with all the community groups, with all of United Soccer Coaches, although we are a Black soccer coaches group, we love everyone, we advocate for everyone. And that's really where we want to take this group is, is so much bigger than, than just our issues. You know, we're going to address those things. Um, we want everyone to be able to have a seat at our table because we're building one. We're looking forward to it. So, yeah, I'm not done, but we have a great group that's that's moving forward. That's going to really push us in a great place. And they have the capability and the bandwidth to do so. So I'm I'm sitting here like a proud big sister and, and, and going to be there to support and love on these guys all the way. Well, coming up, we're going to meet uh, the staff accountant for United Soccer Coaches, Etta Alray, who was the angel that got me to the Black Soccer Coaches. I'll go a little bit deeper into the story, but I just kind of want to end with the general feeling I think my wife was able to talk to you about. She's never seen me like that, like just that all inspired and, like I said, levitating. When you called me up, I, I was frozen. I didn't move. And then Isang Jacob came over to get me, but you were still talking and every word that was coming out of your mouth was resonating. It was filling my heart with love. And when you look at the pictures, I didn't know it was a picture. I saw it. Oh. Your wife told me and I looked at it and I could I saw exactly what she said. It was like, that's so amazing. And I was grabbing Isang Jacob so hard and I was hugging him and he was kind of feeling that all of a sudden he started hugging me back because I think he was feeling me kind of coming through him or whatever. And next thing you know, like I was almost like smelling the dude. It was weird, <laughs> but, but it was a good weird, Nicole, right? Is that, are we, am I allowed to do a good weird? Is that okay? Absolutely. No, there was, there was something divine going on in that room. I'll, I'll say that. And I think that picture, I love it because you got Haley Carter in it. You have uh, Marty 
and Chris Buter from Buehler from the Native American group. And there's so many other people that we could have had. The high school coaches, you know, Howie and Greg. I think there's so many people outside of our group who have helped. So I love that picture because I think a lot of the times, like someone like yourself and, you know, the Haley's and the Jeffs and the Ashley's, you don't recognize how important your power and your influence are in our group. You doing what you do year after year to increase Black representation and how that's helped me to grow the profile of our group to where we can have that successful social in the grand ballroom and pack the house. Yeah. Um, well, I will tell you though. I, yeah. And that's so sweet of you, but I've told you before, I, I definitely was not there for that. You know, I was there because it, it mattered to me, you know? So I think that's part of what happened to me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. We love you for it, Dean. We appreciate you so much. <laughs> All right. Well, and I'm so glad that my wife got to meet you. She can't stop talking about you. She's going to try to get you on a powerful podcast led by another impressive black woman, by the way, which was awesome. And Leah was featured on it. And I think uh, you're going to be on it down the road, Nicole Hercules. So I had to do this right away. I am filled with uh, love in my heart because of what took place on Saturday night and I'm going to continue to express that love Nicole thank you so much for being who you are and what you have done and what you're going to continue to do this has been a great interview and only a further exclamation point on what was an amazing night that I'll never ever ever forget thank you Dean none of us will it was a special night and um, I just can't thank you enough thanks for having me on the show today Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform. From robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations, League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I've been doing this a long time. I love what I do, right? I cranked it Wednesday, cranked it Thursday, cranked it Friday. Saturday had the All-America ceremony and five o'clock, I'm like, okay, cool. We're gonna go to dinner with my wife's brother. And having my wife there was like zen-like for me because I love her with all my heart, you know? And so we go to dinner and I'm like, okay, I know I want to go to the president's reception. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I have to get to the black soccer coaches thing. And it wasn't like, you know, anybody sent me an invite or anything. I just was like, okay, I have to get to the black soccer coaches thing. So we go to dinner, we come all the way back to the hotel. And then I get out the invitation and I'm like, oh, the president's thing's not at the hotel. It's it's where we just were. And so I'm like, and we walked and I'm like, all right, Leah, we got to walk again because it's, it's not, it's, it's too close to Uber. You know what I mean? Like, yes. so anyway, we walk back, we get there a little late, we get to it and I'm trying to catch up with everybody. And then we get back to the hotel and I'm like, Leah, I got to go to the black soccer coaches thing. Of course, I'm an idiot. I don't know how to download the app or anything. And we get in the elevator and we're in there like, you know, trying to find our key, can't find our key. And I'm like, I don't know where it is. And then in walks Etta Allray and <laughs> you, you take me there. And then I go and I'm uplifted. Like I'm from my soul. You need to know that I was floating. Like I, I saw people that I worked with, you know, 30 years ago at us soccer that I loved them then but to me, they were just people, you know what I mean? They weren't, yes. they weren't a black person. They were just a person. So I never put him in a, oh, hey, I got to spotlight him because he's black. It was just, 
you know, hey, this guy's great. He loved me. I loved him. And and but then to be in there and then hear that that man was Lincoln Phillips, then to hear him talk. I don't know. Did you stay for Lincoln's speech or not? Yes, I stayed for his speech. So next thing you know, dude, I'm literally like floating. And then Nicole like calls me up and I, I don't move because I'm just like, I didn't know what that meant. And I still was kind of levitating. And then the Isang came over and got me and I'm listening to her speak. And I didn't realize they had us all up there for a picture. So in every picture they took, my face is not looking. I'm looking at Nicole because she's inspiring me. You know what I mean? So yes. I'm just, and, and by the end of it, I'm like hugging Isang. It was weird, dude. Like, I mean, I was just grabbing <laughs> him so tight. So anyway, I, it was a, inspiring day that I'm still, I'm still flying high on. So I, you know, I'm sorry if that story bored you, but I wanted to no, share with you. No, I mean, it was kind of, um, I think it was like meant to be because um, I was sitting in my part. Um, I think after I left the president's dinner, I was conflicted. I was like, so close together. I was having fun with the president's dinner with a lot of my colleagues, you know, association friends, people I haven't met. So I was like, I don't know if I want to like, go to the black soccer coaches you know social i thought about it i'm like you know what let me go and then i i walked in i saw you on the elevator and then you know from then it was great and uh, you know i like being there got to see a couple of faces new connections got to meet some great people i did meet lincoln phillips jeff introduced me to him it was great all right well awesome so thanks for playing a role in what has been um such an inspirational few days for me and with that let's get to know etta Allray a little bit better he's a staff accountant for united soccer coaches and etta again thanks for that role you played in getting me there and now i want to get to know you does that sound good yes that's that's, that's good all right awesome so etta tell us uh, where you grew up and how you found your way to united soccer coaches so blank canvas give me your story I was born in a small town in Cameroon, Tico. It's a coastal town. My mom and my dad are from the Southwest regions. Um, my mom is from the Boyo region and my dad is from Manfe. I'm from a family of four. I came to the United States when I was 16, 17. I spent one year out and I went to college while I was, you know, 17, 18. I went to uh, Missouri Western State University for three years. And I think that period was, you know, huge in my life because I got to meet a lot of people. One of my mentors, Chad Edwards, was great getting me involved in soccer in the United States because I didn't do enough research about the school. So when I got online, I was like, oh, they have a soccer program. And I went down my like, year, yeah, surely they have a boys soccer program. I didn't think too much about it because from where I grew up, soccer programs were mainly played play by boys, by men. Sure. So when I went there, he goes, I'll go into his office. And I was like, yeah, I'd like to join your soccer team. Do you guys have like a trial? He was like, um, I only have a girl. Yeah, only it's only girls soccer. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? So that was like, you know, an eye opener for me, like being on the other end of the, you know, the special. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was great. I got to be great friends with him. Over the couple of years, he introduced, had me come out to his training. So that was, you know, Perfect. And then from there, after graduating, I got an accounting job in the Kansas City area. And when I was 14, I think that was, I had a, um, an ex a beautiful experience. That is when I knew I wanted to coach soccer. 
Well, tell me about that. What was that experience? Our school had a program where the sophomores, freshmen or sophomores um, got together and they worked with middle school kids, our middle school, mid, in middle school. So we took, we asked everyone who wants to play soccer, they will send their names in a list and we'll form like a huge list and then we'll draft them up. Mm-hmm. And then we'll make teams and then they'll play against all, each other and we'll coach. Nice. So that was, you know, when I did that, I remember I had a friend, uh, Mike Tome, and I had him partner to coach. And after that, I was like, I really like this, you know. And, yeah. Um, that was great. So after going through that experience, I think nothing was the same again, right? Um, I was in the financial field. I was good at it. I liked it, but I was I didn't love it. Mm. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, if for people, if you've talked, people who are in different fields, they kind of get an idea of what I, you know, I'm talking about. So I went for an accounting interview, talking to the lady, she asked me what was my passion. And when I told her about soccer and I've been looking for an opportunity to coach, she introduced me to Ben Papula. Ben Papula asked for a reference. I gave Chad Edwards. Irony, Ben Papula coached Chad Edwards. Okay. So... It was amazing. He was uh, my coaching mentor um, through the ropes. Um, he was fantastic through, um, walking me, you know, coaching, just being a great mentor. I got the experience of coaching the teams from 4v4 and taking them all the way through the 11 v 11. So that was, you know, um, huge in my life as a friend, a mentor, and just, you know, a, a great person. And then I think Two years ago, I decided to do a career switch and I'm with um, Sporting City West. And it was revolutionary to everything because when I got my Bush reached out to me, um, we had a conversation for over like two hours, got to meet in person and I liked the project, the vision of what we're going to do. That has been a coaching journey in a nutshell. How I ended up with United Soccer Coaches was a friend gave me a call at 5 a.m. I accepted another position. A friend gave me a call at 5 a.m. He was like, there's this new position open at United Soccer Coaches. You should apply for it. I'm like, I don't know about I was like, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I was like, I just accepted a position and he kept insisting. He was like, I think you will fit well and it will be a great environment. His name is Rick Hawkins. So 5 a.m. I sent him my application. And the next day, Bev sent me an email. We set up an interview on Friday. I came into the interview. I, I met Jeff and Beth. That was it. Wow. That's amazing. So that other job, were you, did you ever go in at all? No. You, no? no. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I, sat, I mean, I'd sat, and it, it's, it was funny. I mean, it was funny because I'd gone through this rigorous interview process. They offered me something great. And I was happy about it. And for, I went through the process, I signed the contract, but I didn't, I didn't send it in. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't send it in. Oh my goodness. So I signed my contract on Wednesday. I was like, I'm, I was like, no, I'll send it in on Monday. <laughs> Friday, I had the interview with Beth and Jeff. After the interview, we talked about, you know, me as a person, coaching, credentials in accounting, a financial analyst, and they offered me the position and... I mean, it was a no-brainer, right? It was a no-brainer for me. Immediately after I left the meeting, I sent an email to the company and I told them, well, 
I got another position and I had to take it. And they go, what was it? We offer you more than what they're offering. They was like, no matter what they're offering, you're gonna offer you 20% more. I was like, you can't. They're like, why? I was like, they're offering me something that is more than just a career. They offer me something, they offer me a lifestyle. That's what they were offering me. Wow. And so since then, I think, you know, everything has just been great for me, personally, professionally, you know, I've got to meet people and I'm working with people in my community, right? That think like me, we love coaching, we think about the game. I think the defining moment was if I worked with any, any other organization, I have the opportunity to do multiple things because most companies have given me the opportunity to coach. But I think with United Soccer Coaches, I have an opportunity to not just coach, but to make an impact in and out of my community. So, and that was, that's huge for me. Wow, what a story. And I thought my story was good, man. You know what I mean? Like, I thought you, you know, opening the door and I'm like, you're going to take me there. Your story is even better. That's just incredible, man. That's so awesome. So how long have you been there now at United Soccer Coaches? Um, I've been there for eight months, February, no, 10, February, February 28th will make me a, a year. A year, February. Okay. Incredible. And I'm guessing then when you hear like how warm I feel about the association, you already feel it. Like everything that you told those people offered me 20%, 30% doesn't matter. Everything's come true for you, right? In that almost a year. Yes. I mean, in this year, I mean, I'm eternally grateful because after I've made that transition, everything has just worked in my favor. Right? <laughs> my dad, he's of late, he always said, you know, just trust what you're doing and, you know, the Lord is going to handle the rest and everything just falls into place wow. um, with everyone and nothing beats working with great people that have the same experience the same vision and you know goals so i tell people i don't feel like i'm walking like people say oh you do a lot it's like 14 16 hours i'm as you leave united soccer coaches you go to coach i was like i love what i'm doing i was like that's the difference i was like i, do, I can do this every day even when I don't feel well, I want to go to work. Yeah. Right? Because not only am I just, I'm working for coaches all around the country and I'm working for coaches that are serving various communities, the youth, they have a vision, um, inner city projects, just developing soccer. And, you know, it was like, for soccer has been like my first love, just teaching soccer. If you remember when I ran into you at the convention, you said Cameroon and my eyes lit up because... You know, I was the press officer of the 94 team. And as much as I remember everything the USA did at beating Columbia, I was just as mesmerized by Roger Mila. Is that how you say it, Mila? Yes, um, Mila. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and the Cameroon team and the way they would dance around the corner flag after scoring goals. And, and I was worried that you weren't old enough to remember it, but you told me you did remember it, right? Is that right? My dad was a huge soccer fan. Um, okay. Football is huge in Cameroon. We tend to believe we're the Brazil of Africa. I mean, because we like the way they play football. It's beautiful and they enjoy it. Yes. And in 1994, there's a story I was too young to remember. They said during the World Cup, my dad left me. So we have um, like balconies. We had a veranda. That's what it's called from where I'm yeah. from. 
Yeah. So it's like a, an extension in front of your building, like, you know, yeah. your, your porch, your, your deck. So, but it's in front of your building. So, and but it was, it was a closed gate. So my dad left me there. They were watching the World Cup. My uncle talks about it all the time. He was like, he can, he comes to visit during the World Cup and they find me sitting on the veranda and there was a snake on it. <laughs> so it's, it was, and he was like, my mom says it all the time. I don't know what's wrong with you guys, but when football is involved, nothing matters. And nothing happened to me. <laughs> I just felt like, you know, I was so drawn to the game from a young age. It's so, like football is, is the only sport I've wanted to play my passion for a while. So my uncle tells me that story all the time. Wow. My dad, yeah. So how old was, were you at 94 then? You, 94, you can... I was three years old. Okay, and you're out there on the brand. Of, there was a snake. What kind of snake? Um, I, he did say it was um, it was it was black. Um, okay. he was like, and just like this kid is on the veranda, and my mom loses it. So she was like, <laughs> she was like "What is?" Uh, she was yelling. At, they said she like yelled at my dad about leaving <laughs> me there. I told someone that story, and they were like, "Yeah, she should have heard." I was like, "Well, he was watching football." <laughs> Right, I was like, like, he was watching soccer, football. Like, like, I understand because when I watch the game, I, especially a great game, I think about nothing else. I'm just so drawn into the game yeah. because, like, I feel like the moment I turn away from the game, I'm going to miss something either amazing, you know, or something impactful. So, um, I love it. I love it. And I got to believe, and I want to get back to the black soccer coaches, but we'll end with that because, you know, another person that uh, I have time for all day is Beth Sullivan. I got to believe uh, it's great working with her and, and under Jeff as well. Beth has been, you know, a great mentor, you know, she, uh, walk, uh, being patient and, you know, working with her uh, for the last couple of months, showing me how, you know, things are to be done in the association, being you know, a mentor, not just only about, um, my um accounting part of what I do but you know other things you know great advice you know we, we share a couple of passions like you know plants you know she's into plants I like plants too <laughs> and, you know, a lot of other things so um Jeff has been you know overall a great CEO and a great person giving me you know he's given me a lot of advice that I've taken you know just as an individual you know building relationships with people and you know Sometimes if I have, you know, conflict, a, a problem about my team, he's always, you know, he's someone to go to. I mean, there have been people that I could go to no matter what issues, you know, I'm facing and they're willing to help me, even personally or professionally. Putting the spotlight on Etta Alre, the staff accountant by way of Cameroon and now has found a home. And, uh, you know, I mean, I just want to go back to that. I mean, you clearly have found a home, right? You're at peace. Yes, I mean, that's the thing. You know, I tell people, like, I'm happy where I am. I'm happy with what I do. They're taking good care of me, great care of me. So not just from the standpoint of, um, I think, you know, I'm happy with where I am and what I do, but I'm much more excited by what I can do um, in growing the game of soccer, not just in Kansas City, but in Cameroon. Through um, the convention, I've got it. I've had a chance to meet spectacular people, you know, around the world. So it's been great. All right, Etta Ore. So um, tell me about uh, the teams that you're coaching right now. Um, what age group are you coaching? Um, I'm coaching 2013s boys and girls. 
and the 2012 boys. Okay, cool. And talk about uh, that dynamic. Talk about the, the joy you get coaching the boys and then the difference between coaching the girls. I can talk a little bit about Sporting City West. Um, before, you know, I talk about my team so that, you know, everyone gets um, an understanding. So overall, I think um, the goal of, you know, our club is to um, play football. Um, with the, with the, the model is the way Sporting KC plays. Um, we like them building from the thirds, um, encouraging them to be brave and taking risks. They are young. We're two years old. This is our second year. So these amazing young men and ladies have been, you know, instrumental in believing in my vision as a coach. My 2013 boys teams, they, they are a collective group. They are students of the game. If I give them an objective, they, they, they accomplish it. My 2012 boys, they work hard. They, they like to have fun. So, you know, it's kind of like a little bit, like, you know, they're a little bit different, right? <laughs> these guys are more work, a little bit of play, but these guys, they work hard, but they like having fun. So um, <laughs> it's me adapting as a coach and, and figuring out how to coach them and get the most out of them. So awesome. that has been great. And um, my girls teams, all of them are amazing, but, you know, my girls, they, they bring out the best in me, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they demand the best from me because... I could be having a bad day or whatever, and they will let me know, right? So if I'm having a bad day, the boys, they won't say anything. They will just adapt, you know, to the way I'm coaching that day, and then we'll be fine. The girls, oh, they will let me know. <laughs> they will let me know. And, you know, it's fun, right? So I remember one time I was sitting, um, I was standing with my bush. Um, we had a, a rough practice. It was bad from both ends um, I wasn't getting through to them they weren't getting through to me our communication was bad and before practice starts the next was like two days after one of them walks and comes and stands by me and she's just looking at me and I'm looking at her she's looking at me <laughs> and I go what's wrong she goes there's nothing wrong but I think we need to talk I was like okay what do you want to talk about they were like she goes you were not fun yes you were not fun last practice I was like, right? She was like, yeah. She was like, we felt you a little, I felt you a little bit irritated. So we struggled with you, but I was like, okay, I got it. I'll be better. Mm. Right. And um, they are they are eager to please me. Um, like, you know, so when I'm teaching them, they want to do exactly what I ask them to do. Mm. And they are frustrated with themselves. If I say, hey, can we? I, for, so, for example, I, I tell them, I want you to break through the middle third. Not around it, I want you to walk on going right through the middle. And they will go in and they will try to do it. They try to do exactly what I say. So, you know, they, um, the girls, and they work hard, you know. They're tough, mm -hmm. amazing ladies. The boys, they like experimenting more. They, um, I, I always say... They are more on the try and fail side of things, and then the girls are like, "Tell me exactly what you want us, what what you want me to do, so that I can be successful right from the beginning." But I love coaching both groups because on on both sides, I get different attributes that make me overall better as a coach. Because when the girls, you know, when when they are able to like come up to me and confront me about the way I was, you know like the way my mood was and the way I acted, then I realized, okay, the, the boys didn't say anything, but 
the way I was feeling that day probably trickled into their practice too. So now I can fix it on this end. So, you know, I'm learning from both of them. Kids have been amazing, you know. I'm going to go a little bit more personal. I remember after my dad passed away, I was having a difficult period, just personally. And one of my former players, he sent me a letter. And that, that letter changed everything. It was a pivotal moment in my life. So I was going through you know, a lot of difficulties. We'll talk about mental health. Um, so it, it was a tough period for me. And I read this letter and he told me, basically in a nutshell, he said um, he was grateful for you know getting to meet me, um, that I helped him to be a little bit more comfortable and brave. He was happy that I was his coach. I read that letter and I thought to myself, it was like, I just saw the amount of impact I had in his life. And I felt a different amount of responsibility um, to in what I do. And it gave me the strength to power through. Since then, he helped me make, you know, a couple of tough decisions in my life and they felt easy. And mm. uh, coaching, coaching is a is a blessing for me and a responsibility. Like I feel indebted to the kids I coach because a coach is only as good as his players. And they, all of my teams, boys or girls, they demand me to be better, just a better person before I become a better coach. Just great stories. And I'm, I'm not surprised that everything you're saying is resonating with me based on how we started this and you being the man that that led me to the thing and us meeting right away and, and already talking about Cameroon. You are such a cool person. Etta. It really is awesome. If you can, based on all of your experiences and where you are today, in just one sentence, when you hear these three words, what do they mean to Etta Alray? And those three words are United Soccer Coaches. If I had to put it in one sentence, it's an advocate for the present and the future of the game. Amen. Full stop, period. And if it's all right by you, I often talk a lot about tipping points. It's a Malcolm Gladwell book. I am going to forever remember the two tipping points, you know, meeting you, the tie to Cameroon, and then you walking in the elevator and like an angel leading me to that social where I forever moved. You know, I can't even explain it, but I feel like you understand it based on everything that's happened in your life as well. And because of that, this has been just an, such an enjoyable interview at uh, one that had to get done right away. And uh, I'm so glad that you're on the first show right after the convention. It's an honor to have met you. It's an honor to have you be the one that walked into the elevator to save the day. And thanks for being uh, a great part of the association and now a forever part of my life too. Thank you, my man. Yes, um, I would like to thank you for the opportunity. Convention was great. You know, getting to actually, I think that was my my first time meeting you in person, read your emails, you know. So I was, I was like, I'm one of the people that like to put names, faces to names. So when I met you, you know, you were a great person. And um, I'm just, you know, honored, humbled, and blessed, you know, for everything that, you know, has been happening in my life. So I'm, you know, grateful and um. It was nice, you know, uh, also talking to you. All right. Well, we'll definitely keep in touch. And you just got to know one of the superstars of the United Soccer Coaches staff, almost ready to celebrate one full year. By way of Cameroon, thank goodness he's here. Etta Allray, the staff accountant and also a great coach with Sporting City West. Etta, all the best, my man. Thank you. And 
Have a great day. I like that guy, Etta. He's the man. And we've got one more great story as we meet another member of our 30 under 30 class, Kevin Teo, the assistant coach for the Memphis men's soccer team and the proud father of a beautiful young girl born about three weeks ago. We'll meet Kevin after this. Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the Master Course Schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Obviously, this podcast had a lot of convention in it, but we're always going to spend time every week meeting another member of our 30 under 30 class. And with that, we welcome in Kevin Teo, the assistant men's soccer coach at the University of Memphis. Welcome, Kevin. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, delighted to have you. And let's talk about the most important thing that's ever happened to you. You and your wife just had a baby, my man. Break it down. How old is your baby? Did you have a boy or girl? The name, the details, the weight, everything you can give us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had a little girl. She's about three weeks old. We named her Mila. Uh, it's a family name. So, you know, both her and mom are doing great. It's it's fantastic. It's, it's definitely changed my world and my perspective on everything. So it's awesome. Isn't it amazing to bring new life into the world? I know you're not sleeping very well, but I, I, <laughs> I know when you look at her you know what it means. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Every, every, you know, poopy diaper, every <laughs> sleepless night, it's all worth it. Cause at the end of the day, like, I, I mean, I love her so much and we, she can't even talk yet. You know, that's a crazy thing. All right. Well, I want to get into your coaching, but uh, how, uh, how did you and your wife meet? We actually went up recruiting to Northwest Arkansas and uh, there was like a hangout spot. And in between kind of recruiting, I, I saw her there. I mean, I just sat down with her and I was like, hey, can I work next to you? And we just started talking and that's kind of how, how it happened. So she's a soccer coach too, or? No, no, she was oh. just there working. Um, okay. she, <laughs> she knows nothing about soccer. So uh, it's kind of a breath of fresh air when I go home, you know, I don't have to talk soccer or anything. The way I understand it is you actually didn't play soccer until your freshman year of high school. And then you ended up playing NCAA D2 soccer. So what's all that all about? What took you so long to play soccer? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my father played, he had a couple of national team call-ups for, for Guatemala on the youth level, and he loved it. And he never really forced it upon me. He just kind of was like, whatever, whatever suits you best. And, you know, I'm from Los Angeles. So the Lakers are, are the Kings of, of sports. And I love playing basketball, but when you're five, five, that's not really in your calling unless you're, you know, Nate Robinson or Spode Webb. So um, we moved to Arkansas when I was around eighth grade freshman year, kind of in that transition period. And I made a lot of friends that kind of helped the transition go better than it should have. They were fantastic people and they all played soccer. And I was like, all right, I'll give this a shot. And I played soccer. I ended up making the high school team. Uh, we played some club soccer and then I was able to walk on at uh, Washtenaw Baptist, which is the division two school in Arkansas as well. 
Incredible. And by the way, I'm a massive Lakers fan. My entire family is a huge NBA fan. I used to go to the forum when I lived out in LA myself and hang out in the forum club with Nick Van Exel and Snoop Dogg. And I see yeah, Chevy Chase. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, the quick man. He was one of my favorites. Uh, that's awesome. That the Lakers are really struggling right now, though. So I don't want to talk about that. They, they <laughs> did get a win last night as uh, we're doing this interview. But all right, that's fascinating. So, what position did you play then? All throughout uh, high school, I was an attack attacking player, so I was a, a winger, a forward. Um, and then when I went to college, they, they transitioned me to outside back, and I, I loved it. I loved that position. So I played basically everywhere except goalkeeper and in the middle of the field. So I find it fascinating that your grandfather played for the Guatemala national team and then it's your grandfather, right? And then, is that right? Yeah. And then your yeah. dad also was a big time player, but they never, neither one of them pushed it on you? No. Nope. Nope. So my grandfather started, it's a team called China Bajul, and it's in Huehuetenango, Guatemala. I think I think they just made the jump to the first division um, in Guatemala. And my dad played for him under that. And they both never, never pushed it on me. They, I always remember growing up watching it on TV, you know, hearing their stories and everything, but they never, they never forced it on me. I tried when I was seven. I mean, I hated the experience and they, they, my dad was like, okay, dude, if it's not for you, then it's not for you. And I ended up coming back to the game after, you know, a couple of years. Wow. What a, I'm so glad that the game brought you back in because from there, your path to D1 is pretty awesome. Break it down. So you're, you know, you walk on to the school that you mentioned in Arkansas, you play four years, I guess. Is that right? Um, I, I played, I played, uh, I think two years, two okay. years. I tore, I tore my ACL my senior year and I was, I was a walk on. So I think I played two years. So I graduated and I started kind of the normal real world type stuff, nine to five. I did not like it at all. And I was like, I, I've always known that I wanted to get into coaching. So I just started looking around and I was thankful enough to get a volunteer high school assistant position at a school in central Arkansas, Conway High School. And that's kind of where I met my first mentor. His name is Matt Page and he coaches at Conway High School. And he really taught me a lot and he gave me that opportunity. And I was, man, it was a grind. I was going to grad school. I was coaching club. I was doing the high school gig. And I think I was making like $12,000 a year. So I remember a lot of bologna sandwiches and just kind of struggling and trying to make it. And um, I did that for about a year and a half. And I graduated with a master's and I got a head high school job. And during that time as well, I was like, I want to continue learning. And obviously, how do I learn more about the game is get involved at a higher level. So there was a local division three school um, in the same town as well, uh, Hendricks College. And that's where I met another fantastic mentor, really great friend and Matt, Matt Kern. And he taught me a lot more outside of like the X's and O's of what it is to be a coach, but like really loving the player as a person. And that's something that I had never seen before. He really like open door policy, everything like that. So that's kind of when I started getting involved with United Soccer Coaches and trying to expand my my education as as a coach. So I did high school and Division three soccer for about a year. And then I was a volunteer at the division three. And then they were like, Hey, the assistant's leaving. Do you want to transition to full time? And I was like, yes. So I went from volunteer to assistant and I did division three for about three years. And then I met my wife in 2019. And over that Christmas break, I, I realized I wanted to be close to her. My family's up in Northwest Arkansas as well. Her family is up there and we got engaged and I just wanted to be by her. So I ended up emailing Colby Hale out of the blue. I just emailed Colby at the University of Arkansas. I was like, hey, if you're looking for, for anything, I'm assuming it's not gonna be paid, but I'd love to just be involved. And I remember me, me and my fiance and my wife now, 
we were out eating breakfast and I was like in sweats and a t-shirt and he Colby calls me. He's like, Hey, can you be in the office in 10 minutes for an interview? And I was like, sure. So I went in and I interviewed with him and the staff and I started off as a volunteer. That's when COVID happened. And I transitioned into a director of ops role for them. I did that for 2020. And then in 2021, I was approached by a local community college in Arkansas to start soccer for them. So I did that all 2021. And my wife and I found out we we were pregnant in March. And throughout the whole time, we loved our time at the JUCO, at the small town. But I always knew I wanted more as a coach. I want to continue learning as a coach. I want to continue pushing myself as a coach. And I applied to several jobs throughout that time, throughout the summer window. And then I think like July 25th, Memphis opened up and I applied. And then two days later, I interviewed here and, you know, I fell in love with the university, with the town, with everything that we're doing. And, you know, again, working with Richard Mulrooney and Tony McManus has been incredible for sure. They're great mentors. Yeah. How did you make that happen? Like, how did you find out that the Memphis job was open and was it, you know, a tough process? How did you make that happen? Man, when when I was struggling, I, I lived on the NCAA marketplace, uh, just looking for jobs. And it just popped up one day. And I told my wife, hey, it's a long shot. Obviously, I'm coming from JUCO, but you never know. And honestly, the experiences that I had with Colby um, and Sammy at the U of A definitely helped me with a lot of the video analysis that they do, that they implement, a lot of like the statistics that they do and they implement. That experience really helped me when I talked to, to Richard and Tony. They were like, this is what we're looking for. This is kind of a piece that, that we're missing is someone that can break down video and that can look at Scout and Instat and all that stuff and kind of make it make sense to us. So I applied and like I said, it was, it was crazy. It was the end of July. I was getting ready to start my preseason with my team and maybe like two or three days before my, my preseason started, Tony McManus called me and offered me the job. Um, and I was like, yes, absolutely. And then in the span of three days, I was here and I was living on, on, I was staying on the couch with one of my friends here in Memphis. And I mean, that's, that's what it is. Kevin Teo, it's spelled T-E-L-L-O. So I feel like I'm the only one that calls his name by the right name. I'm pretty sure <laughs> everybody else calls you Tello probably, right? If they don't know you. Yeah, yeah. You know, grow, not, I'd say growing up in Arkansas throughout high school, I, I played football a little bit and I'm just used to Tello. And that's what <laughs> my wife, that's what my wife is used to. And well, I mean, it's, it's okay. It's fine. So you've kind of adopted it then because everybody I, just does it I, phonetically. I had, I had never heard it until we moved to Arkansas. I had never heard my last name be like spelled or people saying it tello. And then I just was like, all right, let's roll with it. And <laughs> there we are. All right. Awesome. I think that says a lot about the kind of quality person you are that uh, you just keep on charging. But as a broadcaster, I definitely wanted to get it right, Kevin. So thanks for letting me get that right. Okay. So when did you learn about the 30 under 30 and what was it about this program that made you say, Hey, I want to be a part of it? Man, I learned about it when I, when I started getting involved. So when I was at Conway high school, so around 2016 and I applied every year and I really didn't take like not making it as like a rejection. I was just like, all right, well, I need to continue working on what sets me apart from the rest. And I think that's kind of where I also find my drive to keep going and to keep, you know, I tell our guys here, like, it's not enough. You know, we were ranked 22nd in the country and that's not enough. You know, we we were tied second in the AAC for a while and that's not enough. Like, we always want to keep pushing and keep going. And I think that's just my mentality as, as a person and as a coach. But I wanted to do it really to just continue to learn and continue to grow from, you know, I've met some of the some of the other participants in the call. I've met some of the mentors in the call. And it, it just sounds like an incredible experience for You'll, you won't stop learning for an entire year, you know, with the conversations or with the advice or the mentorship. It sounds like an awesome experience. And obviously from what I've said, like, I really value 
trying to learn as much as I can in the short time that I have as a coach. You know, obviously 50, 60 comes around quick and I want to be able to impact as many lives as I can in that lifetime that I have. What do you remember about the day you heard that uh, you were in the 30 under 30 class and who'd you share the news with? I called my wife immediately because she knew how much it meant. I was actually sitting here in my office at Memphis um, and I got the email and it was funny enough because I actually turned 30 at like a couple weeks after that, or I think a couple of days after that. So I was like, Ooh, by the skin of my teeth, you know, I, bar I barely made it. This is my last opportunity. And mm -hmm. I'm just super thankful for it for sure. I will tell you folks, you can't see him because it's a podcast, but uh, he looks like he's about 19. That shows that he's living good and <laughs> living large. And that's even with a three week baby at home. So well done, Kevin, I can tell you lead from your heart, which I'm always inspired by people like that. When you think about your greatest memory in the game so far, what comes to mind? Oh man, it's it's definitely been my year here at Memphis. I've had a lot and I don't want to shy away from, you know, my teammates that I've had or players that I've coached, but this year we had at Memphis was special, you know, making the tournament for the first time in 18 years when we were voted in the in the preseason poll to finish I think second to last. It was awesome and the group of guys that we have here is incredible. The staff that we have here is incredible. I've told my wife like obviously from my story, I've kind of been jumping around place to place, trying to see, you know, what's better, what's next, and kind of trying to grow as much as possible. But me and my wife really, truly love it here. Um, we love Memphis. We love the city. Like you said, we love the staff. We love the athletic department. It's an awesome place to be at. Do you ever get to interface with the Memphis 901 guys? Yeah. Um, so Tony McManus, the associate head coach here, has a good connection with them. We actually play them every spring. Um, so we have our spring game set with them. Um, we usually do a home opener for them, but this year we're going to play here in-house um, at the University of Memphis. So we do kind of correlate a lot with them, respond a lot with them, have some correspondence with them. So what is your crystal ball then? You've heard me ask this to the other podcasts. I mean, an incredible path, a, a stick to itness that I admire. Have you thought about where you want to be 10, 15 years from now? I mean, I especially like the fact that you said that you want to impact as many people as possible. That's a pretty awesome statement. I saw that and I really truly grasped that that kind of concept when I started this the junior college program in Arkansas. I brought a lot of kids in that they told me, hey, if you hadn't called me, if you hadn't texted me, I I wouldn't be playing soccer right now in college, you know, let alone getting a degree, let alone, you know, moving across the country for it. So that's really when I talked to my wife and I was like, I think I'm doing something that's a little bit bigger than than myself. And obviously learning under Matt Kern and that that relational aspect of talking to players as people and not just as player to coach has helped me a lot but crystal ball in 10 years you know I think I think that the goal that I would have is to help Guatemala to a to a world cup I think that's that's kind of high hopes that's kind of the 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 something that I've always had in the back of my mind that if I could do that it would be awesome but I love the U.S. Men's National Team as well I'm from here so anywhere being related on staff with them you know as an analyst as a video coordinator, anything like that would be incredible as well. I liked your answer on the application about what is the most important challenge you're facing and how do you work to overcome it? And you talked about the biggest challenge is balancing between professionalism and collegiate soccer. Explain uh, what you mean by that challenge. Yeah. So the biggest challenge is definitely like here at this level, we're trying to obviously win and we're trying to get results and, you know, our jobs are basically on the line, but also understanding that these kids have work, these kids have class, these kids have girlfriends, these kids have stuff going on at home. We can't just expect them to perform on the field when nothing else is aligning, right? Maybe they had a tough day in class, maybe their girlfriend broke up with them, maybe, you know, parents are sick back home. And 
it's really, like I said, learning that aspect of them and balancing, like, we can't just expect them to come to training and, you know, finish a ball when they have bigger things going on. And that's something that transitioning to this level, I've really have learned to kind of work with and understand is like, yes, these players are basically on the verge of being professionals, but they're still 19 years old. You know, they're, they're still kids, basically. And then when you answer the question about if you're accepted, how would you use this opportunity to impact your soccer community? I want to read the first couple sentences because they fall in line with everything you say and everything I see and everything I'm hearing. You say, I would use this opportunity to impact my soccer community by, again, being an advocate that anyone can work hard no matter their level and achieve their coaching goals. I would use this opportunity to be an advocate for Hispanic coaches and underrepresented communities and help them through my journey and giving advice on steps to achieve their goals, even if college coaching is not what they are desiring. So it sounds like maybe the next step is for you to get involved with the Latino soccer coaches community as well. Have you thought about that? Yeah, definitely. And that was my plan. If I was able to go to the convention was to kind of start that, that communication and start doing that, but I definitely want to be involved, but yeah, I mean, it's spot on, you know, I, I think there was a, a year ago or a couple of years ago, they sent out kind of a, um, like a, a pie chart with like the amount of coaches in the U.S. that are college coaches, high schoolers, whatever. And then they had like the ethnicity demographic and it was like something like 10% of, you know, coaches in the country are Hispanic. And, you know, it's tough. Like for me, it was tough if I didn't have the support that I had for my family and for my friends. I don't know if I would have, if I would have been able to stick through it. Like I said, making 12 grand a year isn't the most appealing thing, but I knew it, my end goal was this division one being happy you know i'm i'm not making tons of money i'm making probably the same that my parents are doing and you know they're they're they, they just love the fact that i come to work and i'm happy every day and i love what i do and yeah i mean the, my biggest thing and the thing that we tell a lot of coaches here is like if you need anything just shoot us a text shoot us a call shoot us an email i actually got two emails last night from from high school coaches asking for hey I have, I have, you know, this, this attacking drill that I want to do. What advice do you have for it? And, you know, one of them sent me a video of it and I was like, dude, like I'm not a coaching instructor, but you know, this is how we would do it here. This is what's worked for me in the past. Anybody's open to, to doing that with me. If they have questions, um, I have friends that shoot me texts that are coaches as well. They're like, Hey, I'm struggling with having our pleasure to understand the half space or the wide space. What do I do? And I was like, okay, this is what we've done. This is what I've done. There you go. You know, because we all we all need to help each other as much as possible. It's not trying to gatekeep or keep things to ourselves at this point. You know, finally, as as we say goodbye, I can't help but think of, of Mila. I want you to picture Mila right in front of you right now and tell me how that makes you feel. Man, it makes me want to start crying. Um, <laughs> like I said, I I'm definitely a vision of the American dream for sure. A lot of people say it's it's doesn't exist anymore, but I feel like I am part of it, you know. You are indeed, man. Uh, so inspirational, dude. You moved me. I'm so glad you were on this show where I was, you know, I actually shared my story about how I was moved walking into the black soccer coaches community. So to be moved here with you, dude, I'm, I'm feeling, man, I'm feeling the love, give my best to your family, to your beautiful wife and to beautiful Mila and good luck at Memphis. Congratulations on sticking to it, my man. So glad you're a part of this 30 under 30 class. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. I didn't mean to Roy Firestone you there. Um, <laughs> um, you're a good man, brother. Thank you so much. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, it, like if it only it speaks about how much I truly care about this, you know, about Hispanic community, Hispanic coaches and just the American dream. That's what my parents came here for. Yeah. You know? Really enjoyed that show. Obviously the convention was off the charts 
awesome and want to thank all the great people that made the convention happen. Erica Dyer and Emily under Jeff and Angie and all the PR people and the Harvest Group and the Red Aprons. I mean, everybody was great. Especially want to thank Bailey Coughlin, who won a big award. Well done, Bailey. And, of course, want to thank my producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.